we're going to look at first here at Romans 8, 26 through 30. You can open there. We will get there in a bit. But kind of wanted to start off here. We're in the fourth of, of this series, and I want to kind of recap what we've learned, which is always nice. We've looked at essentially what a worldview is, uh, the way you look at the world, if you didn't know that. Uh, what a biblical worldview is really what we're looking at mostly. Uh, thinking like Jesus, easy to remember. Uh, and how do you think like Jesus? We've looked at that, and we'll look at that again today uh, uh, by looking at his words uh, and trying to follow uh, his way. Last week, we looked at uh, some statistics that were sobering. I don't know if you remember those, but <clears throat> essentially 94% of Americans polled uh, do not have a consistent biblical worldview. Um, and that gets worse as the questions, or as the people get uh, younger. Uh, 98% of young adults and teenagers don't have a consistent biblical worldview. Uh, now, that sounds bad, and, and, and I guess it is, but that doesn't mean that they don't have portions of it. And that's uh, uh, sometimes, uh, what's the old saying, you don't throw the baby out with bathwater. I mean, if there are things that are consistently biblical, but some other things that aren't, then you try to build on those things. Um, and as I talked with the kids, one of the ways to do that yourself or with someone else is to ask them questions. You know, one of the best questions you can ask somebody in whatever issue it is, you can, they can say, well, you believe this. Maybe you believe something opposite. You can just say, well, what would Jesus say? We've had that before, but what does the Bible teach? And is that authoritative to you? That's always the core, and then it'll be the core today. So we have a, uh, a white field, as it says. The field is white <laughs> and ready to harvest. There's a lot of people who don't know Jesus very well. Uh, even people who profess him don't live or think like him and therefore don't live like him. And that is one of the reasons our culture is not being buoyed up by the church as much as it maybe did in the first centuries because we don't think like Jesus. Uh, doesn't mean it's not at all. It's just it, we can do a lot better. Um, and I think that's what we're going to look at. How we, What do we do with this? I would hope that if you're like most followers of, of Christ, that you probably have no trouble agreeing that you should have a biblical worldview. You know, you know it does kind of stop the conversation if somebody says, well, I don't care what the Bible, well, then I mean, believe what you want. Uh, it's a semi-free country, right? You can believe whatever you want. But you may be unsure how to develop one and, and, and sketchy on how you can live in harmony with what one would look like. Um, so you need a bridge, as they say, away from faith to lifestyle. It's, it's the old idea of it's good to know the information, but how do I apply it? And, and providentially for us, the Bible does both for you. It gives you information, but it also gives you application. Now, you may have some pieces, um, and I think part of this is part of the problem is Bible knowledge is at its lowest that it's ever been, as far as we know, as far as we've been taking uh, in America. Uh, you may have some of that, and that's a good start. Uh, you may have fight faith experiences, worship time, service projects, all that stuff, but you don't have a real blueprint is what we're looking for, you know, a way to look at things so you can integrate these together. And I think one of, we went through this, oh, gee, it's probably been a couple years ago. It's only been out for about three years. 
I think this book, and we have it at the back table there. I think they're about 14 bucks if you if you want one, and if you don't have it, just you know get us later. Don't worry about it. The uh, the story of reality by Greg Kokel is a really good book to start with. Uh, it it essentially sets uh, the framework. The way he puts it within the book is what we you think about. I don't know. You, you can raise your hand if you want, or it can be rhetorical. Anybody like do jigsaw puzzles? Nobody will admit it. Um, <laughs> I like doing jigsaw puzzles. It's kind of kind of fun. Um, but if you think about that as the picture of what God wants you to follow is a jigsaw puzzle. Everything you need to follow him completely. Well, what happens is we have pieces of the puzzle, but we don't have it all complete. And, you know, if you've ever done that, some of those real hard ones where you, you think you got something and you're, you know, you want to get a hammer because that has to go there. And you know, realize that maybe that piece needs to go somewhere else and we're not. And what this does is to try to give you the whole it, it, the bit, what it, what it should do when you're done reading it, because uh, you're gonna read it, right? Show of hands. One. <laughs> Boy, I am being very very persuasive today. Um, the uh, once you read this, you'll have a, a blueprint, and it should make you want to run to Jesus to try to now apply it. Um, don't do it as a substitute for uh, reading your Bible, but it kind of gives you an overview of the gospel. Um, he does it in the way we, we've done this with the kids. We got it from him. He, he, Greg Kokel's done this for years. But um, I like the title, The Story of Reality, How the World Began, How It Ends, and Everything Important That Happens in Between. And it's only this thick. Do you have an excuse not to read this? Give me a good one. Anybody in here illiterate? So all that's left is what? Laziness. Yep, that's... That's all that's left. <laughs> or too busy. I've heard that so many times. I'm too busy. Well, cut something out. You know, don't binge watch my, my Dream of Genie or whatever it is you binge watch. This is very important. And the way he used to do it, he called it credo. And we did it with our hands with, with the kids. You know, God, man, Jesus, cross, resurrection. And that's what this is. If you get those things right, if you get God right, if you get man right, if you get Jesus right, if you get cross right, and you get, he's talking about the future, second coming, resurrection of the living and the dead, you got a, you got a good blueprint, you got a good jigsaw puzzle, we're, we're doing good here. Now, God has all those things in mind, and when you look at Romans 8, this is always good to know in the background, because when we read stuff like this, we think, well, I got to figure out how to do this, and it, and it is part of us, but Romans 8 sets a good stage for us. And I want to just pick through this a little bit because the rest of my sermon is going to go really fast. Actually, I heard a couple eye rolls there. Um, you never know. Might. Uh, what we do with this, unfortunately, is verses 26 and 28 we take out of context. Uh, I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll go back through it. Um, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that they might be firstborn of many brothers." 
and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those who he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. When you look at this, this is, this is kind of what we get, and we get this in other places in the Bible, but these five verses are kind of put it all in one place. This is kind of how God's doing things that we don't always see. Um, you know, remember that? That was popular a generation ago or so. Remember the Footprints poem where God, you know, you think God's not with you and you find out he's carrying you? This is kind of that. It's the idea that God is there doing things and doing his purposes, and he's working with us. It's both. And that first verse, we mess up, I think, sometimes. We, we take groanings for too deep for words as being some sort of esoteric experience, when really, if you look at it, it's just saying that the Spirit guides us in ways that's not necessarily verbal. He does it by reminding, pointing, convicting, comforting. You know, that's kind of the main things the Spirit does. You know, I don't know in your life, but in my life, sometimes these things come to mind. You know, you might be having a bad day for whatever reason, and then some, maybe a scripture will come to mind. Where's that coming from? You know, is it, are we vain enough to think that's us? <laughs> Again, it's nice that you maybe read it so he can remind you to it, but that's what's talking about. It's like within a believer's heart, the Holy Spirit is there, and one of the ways he guides us is in ways that are not verbal, but they are informative. You know, that's what it's trying. And why do we need that? Because we don't know what to pray. We pray for stupid, or excuse me, dull stuff. Don't we? I'm not saying all those are bad, but we don't pray the things that God tells us are important. And I think the Spirit helps us with that. You know, when you think about when you when you just when you, however, whatever prayer position you use, whether you get on your knees or you, you know, get before the, you know, a picture of Jesus or whatever, however you do that, think, when you start thinking about God and his word, it does change how you pray, doesn't it? I'll do that a lot. I'll think, well, I really need to bring God this particular thing, and then I'll start praying, and I'm like, yeah, that one's not quite as important as I thought it was. Oh, yeah, and you, you still, you're still with me no matter what happens. You still comfort me. Your word is still true. Uh, no matter what happens in this world, he is still risen, and he still is the victorious one. And you can't, he can't take us out of, no one can snatch us out of Jesus' hand. That's the end of Romans 8. Um, I think that's the Spirit helping us in our weakness. I mean, you don't necessarily hear an audible voice. You know, it's just there. And I think that's what this is talking about. And he searches the heart because he knows what we should pray for. And so it's not, I don't think he is saying, you know, be in tune with the Spirit. I don't know how to do that. I'm always off key, you know. I don't think that's the point. I think it's focus on God and the Spirit will help us with things, groanings. Groanings there essentially means deep things that are important that words can't even express. I mean, have you ever had a mountaintop experience? Isn't it sometimes hard to explain it to someone maybe who doesn't believe? You start explaining it and you're like, oh, well, that sounds stupid. But it's real, isn't it? Or have you ever just felt the comfort of God because you were praying or you were in His Word or you just needed it? And then you try to explain that to somebody and it's like, well, I don't know. It's just, but it's real, isn't it? It's subjective in a sense it's for you. 
I think that's what this is talking about. And then we get verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called to his purpose. I think a lot of times we take this verse and mess it up <laughs> because we don't read it in context. You know, this is all about God working in individual hearts and through the church of believers. It's all plural here. I don't think we should teach from this that, oh, bad things are happening. I've heard this, and it's maybe well-meaning, but it's going to get better. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> or God will use it for you good. The you there is plural. Did you realize that? Anybody seen the end of the Spear movie? It's an interesting movie. It's about a, a group of missionaries that went to South America to tribes that had not heard about Jesus, and within that, one of the men gets killed. But because of that, his wife and other believers eventually start trying to continue that, and eventually a lot of those people in that tribe become believers. I think that's what this verse is talking about in, in some it, it didn't help that guy's life, right? At least his life here. But it did help God, other people's for good, right? And that's the way you're supposed to look at this. Don't think, oh, I'm going through bad times and God's going to make it good and eventually I'll get my crown here on earth. That's not what the Bible says. But if you're going through, if you're faithful, God will use it in ways that we don't even know. I mean, think about it, you know, here's just an example. You know, we've, we've, we've talked about, you know, one of the big questions, we talk about questions with the kids is, do you know that you're saved? Isn't that a good question? Wouldn't it be cool to have a good answer? Well, I'm going to wait for the Spirit. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, it, and, and again, that it comes through the Bible, and I think helping us understand, so I'm not trying to be too flippant there. But remember, we, we said John Calvin kind of had an idea, maybe one of the things to look at. When somebody asked him, how do I know that I'm saved? He said, do you feel guilty when you sin? Well, where's that guilt come from? I think it's the spirit groaning too deep for words, realizing yeah, this is not something that God wants. But think about it. When Calvin wrote that, did he think some schmuck on May, in the middle of May in 2021 was going to use that? Maybe for you? But he was faithful. It might not have helped him at all. may not have helped anybody, and maybe it did, but maybe it didn't help anybody in his time period. But God works all things together for good. It may take years, centuries, millennia before somebody uses it, but if it's faithful, God will use it. Let him take care of that. And don't take this as meaning that somehow that's kind of a word of faith, name and claim it, blab it and grab it type of idea that, well, if I'm just faithful, God will eventually make it better. I don't know, maybe there's no promise for that. He'll make your faith better. He'll make your eternal life more secure. He'll make your connection with, with the Father through Christ and the Spirit more real. He'll make those relationships that you have with other believers more important. Oh, that's good, right? <laughs> so when we read that, we, we have to think. But So this is kind of the, the blueprint or the whole puzzle for what God's doing. He's working it together for good. Why does God allow this person to die? Why does God allow this person to get an illness? Why does God allow this earthquake? I don't know. But God does work all things together for good for those who love him. 
He'll somehow use it, and it may not be in your lifetime, and you just have to not focus on you and focus on God, and you'll be okay. There are things that God does. I don't know if you knew this, but there are things that God does that you don't know about. And you wouldn't understand it probably if he did. But trust him. That's what faith is all about. So wanted to hit that as kind of a God is working. It's not just us doing it. If we think it's just us, we're going to fail every time. So the idea is if, God, if you have the will, God will show the way. He's given us what we need. How is he going to work all things? I don't know. But I do know if you are obedient, his promises will come true. That's what really hope and faith is all about. So three building blocks. We've already had this one. We've hit this hard, but we're not going to hit it any less hard today. The foundation, of course, is your Bible. Think about it. It's just so practical. If you, if somebody, if you told somebody, well, I think like Jesus, what do you think somebody would say if you said that? said that at school and think, oh, yeah, well, that's wonderful. You know, I think like Jesus too, right? I mean, that's probably what you'd get. Um, well, how, somebody might ask you, well, how do you do that? And what would you say? How do you know you're thinking like Jesus? How do you know you're honoring God? There's only one real way. You have to find information that God gave and follow it, right? That's why the foundation has to be the Bible. You want statistics, any church that doesn't have the foundation as the Bible and the Bible is what we believe and everything that it teaches and the way our, our statement of faith that it's to believe in everything that it promises and followed in everything that it teaches, any church that doesn't have that will eventually get the gospel wrong. And all you have to do is turn on television. This is the foundation. Without a foundation, no building will stand. Back to Luke 6. We had this a couple weeks ago. And remember, questions. Have you noticed that Luke 6, 46 is a question by Jesus? He does that a lot. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? What would you say if he asked you that? Well, uh, well you know, is there a rock? You know, I mean, that's the, you, we don't, there's no good answer because I'm disobedient. I'm a schmuck. I'm an idiot. Whatever. You can put all that stuff there. I'm lazy. I focus on the wrong things. I guess I don't know you that well. Anybody want to say that? That's hard, isn't it? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words, the key, one has to determine where it gets said words, right? And does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the streams broke and the house that could, would not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, it immediately fell and the ruin of that house was great. So it's a little circular, I realize that, but if you're going to think like Jesus, you got to know what he said. And you have to figure out, do you think this stuff is true or not? Because you think about it logically, which is not a bad way to think about things. If you're not going to have the Bible as your foundation, what are you going to use? Koran? Society? Culture? Feelings? Something has, how about yourself? That only goes so far. 
And that's why he uses this. Whoever, look at how he puts that. Whoever hears my words and does them. Applicate. You want an application? Here you go. Hearing the word is wonderful. It's like when you're sitting in a classroom and the teacher gives you all this great information. That's good to listen to that information. But when it's time for the test and you're like, oh, I kind of forgot about that. That's not a good foundation. And this is so important that Jesus said, if you don't have this, the rest of it doesn't matter. I mean, this is pretty important, isn't it? So that's the foundation. We have it in John 8. You know, you get this on the buildings at colleges. Uh, If you abide in my word, that part's not on there. You are truly my disciples. That part's not in there either. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Talk about taking a verse out of context. I saw that we were walking through, (coughs) back when we were going to seminary, we were walking through UT and on the wall building. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's just taking it out of context. I mean, that's plagiarism. I think somebody should, Jesus should sue these guys. I mean, if you abide in my word, how much more clear could it be? So Jesus, does he think we have his word? Wouldn't it be kind of odd for someone to tell us that we need to follow his words if we really don't have them? I mean, obviously implicit in this is that he thinks the Bible is true, and we have that. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth is passed away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law, which law there, Torah, word, until all is accomplished. It's all going to happen. And we had that in the first, you know, it is written, it is written, it is written. When, when it, it was written in the Bible, it's over. You don't have to t- have any more discussions. Um, you notice this is not a democracy. Jesus didn't come on the scene and said, do you guys think this word's okay? Should I change it? Does it just make you feel good? Let's vote. No, it's written. That's it. Because if God's in charge, his word is going to be true. Really, if you come down to it, kind of, I didn't put that verse in there, but you kind of know, you may know 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in all righteousness. Think about that. It's God-breathed, breathed out by God. Now, if we don't think it's true, what are we saying? God breathed air. What does that say about God? He can't even get his word right. Did he get salvation right? Yeah. Hinges on a lot, doesn't it? So that's the foundation. Now you need superstructure, you know, get things going. That's the critical questions. It allows us to make sense of a large, of the, large amount of the biblical information. It's kind of what this book does to some extent. Are we asking the right questions? Jesus asked questions. Are we asking the right questions? It helps us organize the Bible's information kind of systematically so we can make sense of it. Now, it's nice to have questions, right? Questions are good, but it doesn't help you much if you don't have answers. The core answers, the principles, the stories... The commands, the insights provided in the Bible to answer critical questions. So you take these questions, and that's what this book does too, but the, one, the questions we're going to look at actually comes out of Barna's book, to Think Like Jesus. And what we're going to do is look at these critical questions just in a little bit of a summary today. This is kind of a free-form sermon, so I'm going to have to really watch that clock. That's why we have it back there. <laughs> so be respectful to all of you. Does God exist? Do you know the Bible never uh, even tackles this one? 
This kind of assumes he does. Because we believe the Bible is authored by God. You ever read a book from an author? Does it first say, I exist? You kind of assume since there's a book there that he exists. That's not really neat. So you see that's already there. But this is big now. Atheism has been growing in America, in our culture, in the West. Uh, I don't know what the statistics are there. I can't, I mean, I can make one up if you want. But the, uh, the academy, you know, the, the, the colleges that some of you are thinking about going to, some of you maybe have already gone to, very high percentage of atheists there. So it's, it's something, you think about one well, church, we don't need to talk about that. Well, what if somebody has a question? Why do you think God exists? What would you say? And there you're really not going to get it from the Bible per se because the Bible really doesn't tackle that question. It just assumes it. You can get some good stuff from there. You're going to have to get that from some other types of at least logical arguments that are not anti-biblical, but they're somewhat extra-biblical. You've got to start somewhere. And they're out there. They're even in the Bible to some extent. Uh, Paul, remember Romans 1? You know, you have creation, so you're without excuse. That's kind of an argument for God's existence because of creation. We've got all those wonderful arguments. We've had classes on that. Sadly, very few people show up for them because you're all so smart. I guess you just already know it. But the cosmological argument, there's two of those. The argument from design, the ontological argument, the moral argument, all those are wonderful. And you think, well, why would I want to do this? Always be prepared to give a defense of the hope you have in Christ. Does that say sometimes be prepared? Does that say not be prepared? This is right in, in 1 Peter. And if you have a colleague that doesn't think God exists, it might be good if you love them to maybe try to figure out ways. To, they're out there. The data's out there. I don't know if it'll be compelling, but maybe God will use it. But you have to do some work. So does God exist? And for us, do we act like God exists? The one I always think is funny, it's like, well, I've heard people say, well, you got to be careful what you're doing because if Jesus comes back, you don't want to be doing something bad, you know. And I'm like, well, that, that's not, that's pretty good. But do you think the other times we do bad things that God's kind of clueless? Don't we think God's omniscient, that he can know everything and he's omnipresent and he can see everything? And are we, do we really think that the Holy Spirit is in us? Well, then when you sin, he's kind of right there. But you act like he's not there. We do that. Practical atheism, we call that, right? We really not believe it, but we act like it. So that's number one, does God exist? We'll hit that next week. Um, we're not really going to get into the arguments because that's not really a worship service, but um, I, I've told you some of them. Uh, one of the best places to go, there's a book uh, by William Lane Craig, uh, called, uh, Reasonable Faith, called On Guard. Uh, very easy read. We did go through it. We might go through it again. So once you have, what is the character and nature of God? You know, because Muslims believe in God. Mormons believe in God. Hindus believe in lots of gods. Jews believe in God. Well, what's the character and nature of God? If you think about it, what are we trying to do? You know, when we pray, when Jesus told us to pray, what, 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 how are we supposed to address Yahweh? Remember? Anybody remember? Father, 
You know, it's a parent-child. You know, you think about it, when you have kids, when, or when you were a kid growing up, some of you are still doing that, you, you, you look at the parents for guidance, right? I mean, so that's kind of what we're looking at here, you know? We were created in God's image, it says in Genesis 1, right? This is kind of an aside, and I'm watching the clock, but... You think about, remember that other question they ask him, is it, rightful, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Remember that? And what's Jesus do? He says, give me a coin. And then if he was a, you know, televangelist, he would have left right then. But, but just kidding. And he says, Who's, whose image is on this coin? It's a question. He's asking a question. Where's your heart? Well, Caesar's, you know, and then he's got that wonderful third option. Give to God what is God's and to Caesar's what is Caesar's. But you ever think about this? Why did he, I mean, I wonder. He used that image. Whose image is on the coin? You know, what's implicit in that question is, well, whose image is on you? Who are you trying to show? Who, what's in your heart? You know, this coin has a person. That doesn't make it bad. It's just a medium of exchange. But who, who's, who's, on, who's stamped on you? Who are you trying to follow? Who are you trying to pay your life to, if you want to look at it that way, as a faithful person? Number three, how and why was the world created? This is important, especially in when you go to high school and you go to college, because there's different views here. I don't know if you knew that. We talked about that last week. If you teach people that you... You know, we call, I don't know if you knew the, the Latin. Here's some Latin for you. The image of God is Imago Dei. Uh, what a lot of the high schools and universities teach is Imago Goop. We have the image of Goop. We just came from the Goop. Time happened. You know, we don't, they don't really have a good, you know, I was, Kokel does this in this book, I think. <clears throat> I'm all for trying to follow every scientific discovery that's there because God invented this science. And I completely believe in evolution as far as things changing a bit and adapting. I think that's clear. Finch beaks get longer and shorter, and that's, that's I'm okay with that. But banana to giraffe, I'm still having trouble with. And to tell you the truth and full disclosure, if they found out that was completely true and found the evidence, I don't think it would change my faith in Iota because I don't think Genesis is that precise anyway. But this is not there. Coco puts it, we don't know how we got in the game. They call it abiogenesis, life from non-life. And we don't know how the game was played. But other than that, we figured it all out. And again, that doesn't mean science is bad, but we don't know how one species, there's no missing link. We've never found that. And let's just have an honest conversation about Because what happens if we really did come from this and the Genesis story is completely just a myth, doesn't that change our meaning, goals, and purpose? What's your purpose if you're an accident? We had that last week, nihilism from Nietzsche and those guys. Life has no meaning. You have no purpose. That logically follows from macroevolution, doesn't it? If there's no God, there's no purpose. And the world was just created as a cosmic accident, and that's what you are. I don't have a lot of hope in that because I don't think it's true because I don't think 
I think objectively it doesn't even make sense, let alone biblically. So that's big, though. Why was the world created? It has a purpose. We'll talk about that one. What is the nature and purpose of humanity? So now we're with the world. Well, what about you? What are you here for? You know, that's not that hard. It's going to affect your decisions, though, and your relationship with God, people, and the rest of creation. If What are you here for? You know, if you believe that you're just here by accident, that's going to change. Your purpose is pretty much nothing. If it's all about you, your purpose is going to be hedonism. Do whatever makes you the most happy, whether it makes other people mad or not. But if we believe our purpose is to honor a holy God and live forever with him, we might want to look about what he said and how to do that. We'll hit that one pretty hard. This also affects the substance of our laws, our policies, our perceptions of morality. How do we get morality? Is morality just what 51% of the people think is good? Yeah. Got to be careful with this stuff, folks. Logic will bite you right in the uh, bottom. And it happens. Again, you think about, you, you know, it's, sometimes you want to be careful using this, but I don't know, have you anybody heard of the Nuremberg trials? This happened after World War II. They put all uh, the, the Nazis that were still alive who were in leadership on trial in a, in a, in a kind of an international trial. And here's the defense from the Nazis. We have our society. We have our truth. You have your society, and you have your truth. What right do you have to tell us what we did was wrong? And if you believe that there's no moral objective standard and, and morals just come from society, what do you say to that? You say you're right. Case closed. Let them go. That's not what happened. Because even then, and I think even now it would happen, I hope anyway, we realize there's a moral lawgiver. And that's where the standard comes from. And that's what we have. That, that changes the way we set up our laws. It changes the way we perceive morality. And it changes what we are obligated to do as humans. You know, why do we have good Samaritan laws? Because, you know, we don't value cowardice, I guess, is one of the things. And that comes from lots of religion. I realize that, but it certainly comes from understanding those things. So number five, what happens after we die on earth? Is this important? Whether you believe that you have a future after this life will affect how you live in this life. I think we saw a little bit of this, and I don't want to be overly critical, but we saw a little bit of this through the pandemic. Now, it can go both ways. It's like we can go, well, God wouldn't have me. <coughs> oh, whoops. <laughs> you know? I mean, you got to be smart. God doesn't say, well, I'll just heal you. I would not jump off tall buildings with a single bound. You're not Superman or woman. Um, but you also can't live life thinking the only reason you're here is to stay alive. And wisdom is knowing the difference, I guess. We all take risks. If I, if I did a poll here, how many people came in the not the most safe car in the world? Well, you're taking a risk. What's wrong with you? Maybe if we put a mask on the front of the car. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what spiritual authorities exist? Number six. You know, what is real? You know, if you want to really stop a conversation in a dinner party, just talk about demons. 
I'm like, what's wrong with that guy? We're supposed to think like Jesus. Did Jesus think these things existed? Well, there you go. Might look you look foolish in their eyes, but I'd rather look foolish in their eyes than foolish in God's eyes. What's the nature of these beings? What authority do they possess? How are you going to find that out? Back to your foundation. And finally, what is truth? We're going to hit this one in the last uh, 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 part of the sermon series. Every worldview has its own spin on this. And the answer determines much about our behavior and belief. So, God willing, over the next many weeks, we're going to try to hit every one of these questions because and answers. Uh, and I say God willing, uh, I have every intention to, but God has all that other stuff in the background. Uh, let's just worry about today. We'll let him take care of tomorrow because he's the one that uh, has his future in our hands. Let us pray. Fathers, we go through these things. I pray that we have attentive minds to try to understand uh, from reason and from your scriptures, which are certainly not mutually exclusive of what these things mean, what the answers to these wonderful questions are, and how we are to live a life. May we have a desire to know you better, to serve you better, to know your word better, to make you proud. Amen.